There we go. I'm good. Yeah, thank you. Hey, welcome everybody. I uh, hope you guys are doing good. The fun thing about tonight is this will be the first time I've ever preached while music plays the entire time. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So if you're ADD like me, work hard. Ask the Lord to help you extra much because it's going to be hard to focus maybe a little bit, especially if they keep practicing the symbols. Okay, so we've been in Mark. We've been in Mark, right? And we've been studying this book for now, I don't know, a little while, okay? And can anybody remember what we talked about last week? Matthew was up here and did a great job showing us what the passage was. And so I'll play favorites in Zach. <laughs> the, the seed in the soil. Those were our two points, okay? The seed in the soil. And uh, we talked about different things. And I'm not going to review the whole message because I'm sure you still have it memorized from all the notes you took last week, Okay. But one thing really stood out to me in that message, and it was this statement that Matthew made, and it was right at the beginning of his message, and he said this. He said, everybody tonight in the room is going to respond to God's word. Nobody gets a pass. You can't say, no, this one I'm just just not going to be yes, not going to be no, I'm just going to take a pass. I'm not going to respond. Well, guess what that is? That's a response. And I just thought that was so great to hear, clearly from God's word, that all seed goes forth and we always respond, good or bad. And so yet again this week, we have another chance to hear from God and his word. And we are going to respond, every single one of us. And and so my prayer is that when we respond, we respond in the way that pleases God It's good soil that it lands in so that God's word can do much in our lives. Because God's word doesn't come across void. It doesn't fail at its purpose. God's word says it accomplishes what it was meant to accomplish. James 1.21 says, Put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. So that's our prayer tonight, that we would receive the implanted word and then God would use it to save our souls. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time now that we've set aside to hear from you and your word. And help us to remember that we're not listening to me, we're not listening to Daniel or Matthew or even our small group leaders. This is from you and your word. This is how you've shown us who you are. So God, even though sometimes it can feel like this is an ancient story and what does it have to do with me, would we see more clearly who you are, who your son Jesus is, and why he came to this earth. God, help us now in this time to focus and hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So get to Mark chapter four. Mark chapter four. And we're going to look at verses 35 through 41. And I've titled my message, What the Storm Shows. What the Storm Shows. And as we get into our passage tonight, I think as we start to read it, you're going to be like, oh yeah, I know this one. I've heard this story before. This one's in my little kid's uh, storybook that I used to read with my mom six years ago. Wait, how old are you? Maybe longer than six years ago. Eight years ago. I don't want to not give you credit for how old you are. Okay? 
This is like a popular story. And I think a lot of times this story in kind of Christian culture kind of gets the meaning of Jesus calms the storms in your life. In fact, if you type in Google, Jesus in the storm, you will see, I don't know, I didn't count them, but lots, see I told you, here comes the symbols, lots of pictures of old artists who have painted pictures on this because this is a very popular story. It's a really cool story, okay? Like even this, right? And so while I want to understand and accept the fact that it's a really cool story, I don't want to just accept the base statement that says this story is just about how Jesus calms storms in our lives. Because I think there is so much more here in this text that we can see. So let's jump in. I'm going to start reading in verse 35. I want to read through the whole thing. Talk a little bit about what's happening. And then we're going to go back and see our points for tonight. Okay? Verse 35. Oh, and just like a heads up, there are no immediately's. And I'm sorry about that, but there are no So, okay. Here we go. Verse 35. On that day, when evening had come, he said to them, who's he? Jesus. Jesus. Make that guess in church. You're usually going to be right. Okay. He said to them, let us go across to the other side. What was in between them and the other side? Anybody know? Isaiah? Sea of Galilee. That's right. Sea of Galilee. Okay. Water. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the heat, just as he was. And the other boats were with him. So you have to get a picture of what's going on. Jesus has the idea of leaving where they're at, going across the water. Why does Jesus want to leave? Anybody? Did he like have a date on the other side? No. Although he did have a purpose on the other side. We get a clue later on, but, but Jesus was actually kind of tired and worn out. There had been crowds and crowds and crowds and crowds. If you read back from what we read last week, what did Matthew teach on? You remember? It starts with a P and ends with an arable. Anybody? Parables, right? Teachings that Jesus gave. And he gave one after another, after another, after another. If you go back before that, he did miracles. Back before that, when I taught last, Jesus was trying to get away for like a night's dinner. And guess what happens at Peter's mother-in-law's house? People line up at the door. So you need to understand the context of this, these verses. Jesus is kind of whipped. And maybe that makes you nervous for me saying that. And it should. Okay? And I'll explain myself in a second. But he is tired. And he says, let's get out of here. Let's go across the, the water. Now, one more thing. Why was going across the water something that they could do? Like, did Jesus carry around like with him all the time like a canoe? Like, oh, why am I carrying around this canoe? I never know when I might come across water and I need it. Is that why? Like, what? how could he go across the water? Remember who's with him? Who are his disciples? Way in the back. Fishermen. That's right. They're fishermen. And guess what fishermen have? Boats. Yeah. 
They have boats and they know how to use them really well. That's their job. And so Jesus is ready to go across. And verse 37 says this, and a great windstorm arose. We could talk about why that happened, the way the sea was laid down. It's actually below sea level, but we don't need to get into all of that. And then check out what happens with this windstorm. And the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Like, here we are. Would you like to be in that boat? If, if that's the picture? Okay. We might think at first, like, ooh, kind of cool, I could get splashed. Awesome. And then you're like, oh, there's a little bit of water in the boat. Hmm. And then another wave hits you, and you're like, hmm, more water in the boat. And then you're like, dang it, my shoes. They're soaked. And you begin to, get, begin to see the picture really clearly that this wasn't actually a really good, fun thing. The boat was already filling. Verse 38. This is crazy. Verse 38. But he, who is that? Jesus. Jesus was in the stern. That's the back of the boat for those of you who are fishermen. And what was he doing? Sleeping. Sleeping. And Mark tells us he was on a cushion. At least he was comfortable. Thank you, Mark. <laughs> and they woke him and they said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great Calm. Interesting when I was studying this that I guess I never really thought of. There's actually two miracles right there beside each other. Huge storm happening. Everybody's freaking out. Jesus is sleeping. Disciples are panicked. They're like, get that guy. I think he could do something. And they wake him up and he says, peace, be still. And two things happen. One, the wind Stops. The storm just stops. Maybe even crazier is the water is immediately still. How many of you have ever been to like a wave pool, like a, a Hurricane Harbor or Magic Harbor or Hurricane Waters or whatever it's called right now? Yeah, you've been to that place. And one of the cool places is, well, kind of cool if you like floating band-aids. Um, <laughs> one of the places is a wave pool, right? And then it makes like a noise, or like at Noah's Ark, it sounds like animals, which is cooler. Um, and, and all of a sudden, you know, oh, here come the waves, right? And the water that was here, and you feel silly for standing in for 30 minutes while the thing waits to turn on, like all of a sudden, it's over your head, right? And you're like, I'm glad that I'm by my friend who can swim, because otherwise I would drown. That's me, because I'm not a good swimmer, okay? And... And then what happens once it stops? When, when the machine stops pushing the water, does it just stop completely? No, what happens? It takes a long time for the water to settle down. Even if your big uncle jumped in the pool and did a cannonball, right? It takes a while for them to fill the pool back up. No, it takes a while for the water to stop being choppy, right? And so it's crazy that you get to see two things here. 
Jesus calms the storm, and maybe more amazingly, the water is immediately still. There it is. Immediately. Good job. Good job. He said to them, verse 40, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Okay. So quickly, I want to show you two main things with a lot of stuff underneath those two main things. Okay? What the storm shows first about Jesus. Let's look at what the storm shows about Jesus. Okay? The first thing we see is Jesus is humble in his humanity. He's humble in his humanity. And what I mean by that is, when I said earlier that Jesus was whipped, tired, worn out, like, does that seem funny to say? Is Jesus God? Does God get tired? No. We could read verses for a half an hour about how God never gets tired and is all-powerful. And Jesus is God. We'll see that in a second. So when I say Jesus was tired, that, that seems funny. That seems off. But Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 8 says this. Have this mind among yourselves, which was yours in Christ Jesus, though he was in the form of God. Listen to this. Did not... Count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But instead, what did he do? He emptied himself, taking on the form of a servant. And being found as that servant, in that human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient, even to the point of death, death on a cross. You see what Jesus did? Even before we get into the storm, what it shows us is that Jesus was humble. He came to the earth humbly before everyone. He didn't need to come to, to the earth. And how did he come? Anybody remember? In like a chariot with guards as a king? Is that how he came to the earth? Giving somebody else a chance besides Isaiah? Yeah. He came as a baby in a cradle. Yeah, and that's pretty humble. Don't see too many babies taking over the world. Unless you watch those commercials where they talk like maybe. Never mind. That's a humble beginning. For a king of the universe. Jesus emptied himself. He was humble. He, he was poor parents. He was socially rejected. He hung out with these ragtag disciples. He was an example of humility. Secondly, we see he was trusting in the Father. Trusting in the Father. Look at verse 38. But he was in the stern. What? Asleep on the boat. Now, we already talked about how he was tired. He was tired because he took on humanity humbly. But also, if you were sleeping, and let me back up. If you're on a long trip and your dad is driving in the car in the back seat, what are you going to do maybe sometimes? I gave an answer away already. You're going to fall asleep. A lot of you, I think, would fall asleep. But what if your brother, who only has his permit... Who you've been in the car, Sam knows about this. If you've only been in the car a couple times, and you know that, like, this is uh, an adventure, let's just put it that way. 
Are you going to be so quick to fall asleep then? Probably not. Some of you are like, I don't care. I just sleep all the time. That's fine. But, but our, our tendency isn't going to be falling asleep in that moment because we don't trust our older brother. We don't trust our older sister. They don't know what they're doing yet. And I'm kind of going to watch to make sure we don't get killed, right? That's the opposite of trust. So Jesus wasn't just sleeping because he was really tired. Yes, he was really tired. But he was also exhibiting trust in God the Father. He, he knew that God the Father was with him. In fact, this is a parallel to what David said when he's being chased. In Psalm 3, it says, I lay down and slept. I awoke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. You could retranslate it. I will not be afraid of thousands of waves that surround me because we're trusting in God's care for him. So what does this reveal about Jesus? He was humble. He was trusting in the Father. Number three, he's powerful over creation. He's powerful over creation. If you look in verse 39, he awoke and rebuked the wind. I remind you of any of the other stories we've talked about so far? Rebuked the wind? We haven't talked about the wind yet. Are there any other stories in Mark that we've covered already where Jesus rebuked something? You guys remember? They were all sleeping every single message. Okay. He rebuked demons. Remember? He said, get out of him. And they had to obey. In the same vein, Jesus here is rebuking the wind, and the wind automatically obeys. Do you know what the wind, this is just in my head, this isn't actually in the Bible, so I apologize. But I always think of it this way, like that wind was really howling in that, on that water, and then Jesus said, peace, be still. And you know what in my head I do? The wind is kind of like, whoa, I've heard that voice before. Do you know when the wind heard that voice? How about at creation? When Jesus created the wind and he separated the water from the land and from the sky and he started to do all of these things. Because first, or excuse me, Colossians chapter one says this, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, Jesus, the firstborn of all creation. Then listen to this. For by him, all things were created in heaven, on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. Throw in the winds and the waves and the storm, all under Jesus' control because he is creator all-powerful creator. And you get this amazing combination of Jesus' humanity when he got tired and his power when he can tell anything to stop and it immediately has to. That is Jesus. All-powerful, all-human coming to the earth to save us. Jesus was humble, trusting, powerful. Here's the last thing. He was faithful despite the response. 
He was faithful despite the response. Notice in verse, well, verse 38. What did the disciples say? Did the disciples go to Jesus and say, Jesus, I don't know if you realize this, but um, it's kind of raining. My shoes got wet. Could you help? We know you can. We've seen you do awesome things. Could you help us? Is that what they say? No, what do they say, Isaiah? We are perishing. We are dying. And do you care? Now, if that, if that was me, like if my kids said to me, close your eyes, ears, no, just joking. If my kids said to me, Dad, don't you care? I would be offended, right? What do you mean, do I care? Everything you have is because I've given it to you, right? I would get offended. I would say, you don't, I just would get upset. Because I would think somehow that my kids should know that I care for them since they're still alive. No. <laughs> but that's not Jesus' response. Jesus is gracious. But what does he do? He saves them. He's faithful to them. Despite their faithlessness to him, Jesus is faithful to the disciples by saving them. We read this tonight. I didn't tell them to, but we read this tonight right in front of our worship time. Ephesians 2, 4 and 5. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loves us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Even while they were drowning and faithless. Jesus saves them. The overwhelming awesomeness of God's grace in his son, Jesus Christ. Ready to respond, ready to deliver, despite the reaction or lack thereof. So we see about Jesus that he was humble, trusting, powerful, and faithful. He cares because that's why he's here. So that's Jesus. Real quickly, I want to look at the disciples. And in parentheses, you know what those are, right, guys? Write this word, U-S. Or you could substitute M-E. Us, me. Are we Jesus' disciples in a way? Not the same as this way, but I think by looking at the example of the disciples, we can learn a couple things about ourselves. So here's the first thing. We're going to go right back through the story again quickly. What the storm shows us about the disciples and a lesson for us. Here's the first thing. I think the disciples were prideful. Now, I don't have any proof of this. So I might get like excommunicated after teaching tonight because I don't have a verse for this one. But I think they were prideful, especially the fishermen. Because Jesus says, let's go over there and we're going to take a boat. And only because I understand Peter's character in the Bible and in the New Testament, I, I want to assume that Peter was like, all right, guys, here's our chance. Time to sell Jesus some really cool fisherman moves in the boat. We'll do some cool sailing. Now, I don't know this for sure, and this maybe is completely wrong. Maybe he didn't take it that far. But I think there's a little bit of what the disciples were like. Yeah, this is our territory. We'll show them. We got this. 
This is going to be awesome. Let's show Jesus how to sail. And we do that too sometimes. We think we can handle it. Oh, I got this. I'm good at this. I don't need any help with this. God, you can take a break because this is in my hands. But that's not true. You see, looking at what Jesus did, what did he do? He submitted himself to God all the way to the cross. If there was ever anybody who could have been filled with how great he was, it would have been Jesus. Yet, we read he emptied himself, becoming human and obeying all the way to the cross. He was humble. So instead of being prideful, we need to learn to submit to him. It says right in the beginning of those verses, have the same mind in you that was also in Jesus. Empty yourself. Submit to him. Cast out the pride in your heart. Here's the second thing. Not only were they maybe prideful a little bit, but here's the second thing that I know for sure they were. They were doubting. They were doubting. Back to verse 38. And we talked about this already. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? (laughs) This is Jesus who's taking them from whatever thing they were doing, fishing, collecting taxes, all of these different ways of life. And Jesus has said, come live with me and I will make you fishers of men. I will teach you the most important thing in the world. And yet some of these disciples or maybe even all of them are still at the point where they say to Jesus, do you care? Do you care? And that question, that kind of question, took me right back to the beginning when everything was created. Do you know the first person that said, or thing that said, in question like that? Do you know who it was? It was. Satan, in the form of a snake, said to Eve, does God really care? That was the kind of question Satan asked. And Eve, all of a sudden, having everything she ever needed, began to doubt the goodness of God. That's what Satan does to us. Despite all of the things that God does for us and Jesus has done for us, we still doubt. But 1 Peter 5, 7 says this, casting all your anxieties or cares upon him. Why? Because he cares for you. Jesus cares for you. It's the reason he came to the earth. To redeem you so that he could be, you could be with him forever. We need to pray our doubts away and be anchored to the word of God. Anchored to the truth of God. Trusting in God's will for our life, not doubting. So what do we learn about the disciples? Prideful, doubting, two more, and then we're done. The third one, 
weakness. Weakness. I think if you would have asked the disciples, at least some of them, the ones that were fishermen, where are you guys most comfortable? What do you think they would say? In the boat. In the water. Doing our thing. Do you think they were comfortable that night? No. <laughs> no. They were freaking out. They were freaking out because they should have been freaking out because the water was coming up into the boat and they were about to sink. So in the place where they thought they had the most strength, it actually showed they were very weak. And that's a good thing. You know why? Because God wants us to see that we're weak. He wants us to see our great need. Like Jesus in the boat, he wants them to come to him, but in faith. Knowing that we are weak and we need his strength. He is the powerful one. He is where we can find salvation, strength, refuge. 2 Corinthians 12, 9 through 10 says this. Paul speaking says, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. That was God, Jesus, talking to Paul. Paul says, therefore, I will boast more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And at the very end, it says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. That's what God wants to do in your life. Jesus wants you to empty yourself of what you think you can do in your own strength and realize your great need for him. And in that weakness, submit to him, love him, confess your sin, accept him for what he wants to do in your life. Cleanse you from your sin and run so that you can run to God and be with him forever. You're made perfect in weakness if you follow the Lord. So the disciples were prideful, doubting, weak. Here's the last thing. They were faithless. They were faithless. Look at verse 41. Sorry, verse 40. Jesus says to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? He didn't just say, have you no faith? He said, have you still no faith? Why did he say, have you still no faith? Last time I taught was in Mark chapter 1. Remember Jesus had teaching power? He had power in his teaching? And you remember what the response was after he did some amazing things that had authority? Verse 27 says, a new teaching with authority. He commands and even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Right before that, they say, what is this? Sounds a lot like, who is this? You see, Jesus is slowly revealing who he is to them. But their faith isn't growing. Jesus says, you still have no faith. I want you to 
Develop in faith. Grow in faith. See me for who I am. Begin to trust me. He will do it. You know, Mark chapter 9, there's a verse that says, this man replied to Jesus when Jesus said that I think it was his daughter would be healed. and, And he says to him, your daughter, she'll go back if you have faith. And then this man says, I believe, but help my unbelief. I believe, but help my unbelief. And I think that's a great prayer for all of us as we grow in faith. Lord, I believe in you. I trust in you. I look to you for my salvation. You are everything that I need. But there are days, like in this boat, where I doubt your goodness. And so God, teach me. Conquer that unbelief in my heart. Help me to run to you in faith and grow and trust in you for who you are in my life. Let's pray. God, thank you for this story. Awesome, awesome display that teaches us so much about your son, Jesus. And God, I pray now for these students and the leaders as they go back and talk about this some more. Would you bring specific application to our hearts? Would we be challenged by what we've heard tonight? Would you grow us in faith? Would we be looking to you for all that we need? And Lord, then give us so much, not because we deserve it, but because you are so good. Lord, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, guys, have your groups.